understand. Help them not to be distracted, Father, but just to listen to what the Bible says. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're in, in uh, Genesis chapter number 6. And the few verses we read there are kind of maybe a little bit awkward. Um, I don't mean that in a weird way, but a little bit awkward. You might think, you know, what type of sermon could come from these uh, verses. But I, I want to look at a few things about, uh, there, there's, a, there's doctrines that people believe. Obviously, uh, our church uh, attempts to preach the truth from the Bible. And sometimes we come to passages that are well-known passages for people using them and kind of misinterpreting them or, or uh, trying to teach false doctrine from it. So, tonight I want to preach a sermon on a false doctrine, but in order to preach that sermon, i got to hit a lot of different false doctrines to lead to that doctrine. So, we'll just get straight into it. But look at, just look at the, well, let's just look at the verses again. It says there, uh, and it came to pass, when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, the daughter of men were born unto them, that the son, look what it says, verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all which they chose. Now, there are people out there who believe that when the Bible refers to the sons of God in Genesis chapter number 6, that he is referring to angels. And they'll say these sons of God, uh, these sons of God are angels. And here's uh, one of the reasons why they do it, and we'll get into it. But the Bible says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, um, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And then here's what they say. Look at verse 4. It says, There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God might, uh, came in unto the daughters of men, that they bear children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Now people who watch way too much television, or read too many comic books, they say, say, they say see here, when the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 6, the sons of God is talking about these angels, and what they'll say is these angels that were, uh, became demons, they were thrown out of heaven, they were the bad angels that left with Satan, and these uh, angels came down, and they started having children with, the, with women, and they started, uh, and they said, and that's where the giants came from. And they say, see, there was giants, and there was uh, uh, mighty men, uh, which were of old, men of renown. And, and, those, and people, I've heard people say this, you know, these old legends about, of people like Hercules, or these, uh, you know, beasts, or these monsters that, you know, maybe Greek mythology, or Roman ancient Roman history, they'll say, see, those, those really happened, and what it was, it was these demon angels who came down and uh, had children with these women, and they had these giants, and they had these men of renown. Now look, that, that sounds very exciting, and that sounds like it'd make a good movie, but that is not what the Bible teaches, and I want to show that to you, and I want to prove that to you, and uh, there's a reason why we're, we're talking about this. But first we've got to ask this question, who are the sons of God? Who are the sons of God? Because the Bible makes it very clear in verse number 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And if you look at verse number 4, it says, There was giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So who are these sons of God? There are, like I said, there are those who believe that the sons of God were angels. But who does the Bible say that the sons of God are? Who does the Bible say that the sons of God are? So I want to look at a few verses. Go with me please to the book of John, chapter number 1. In the Old 
I'm sorry, in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. And just look at John chapter number 1. And we'll look at a few verses because, see, I can make up a story. I can take a passage and make up a story and make it real interesting and exciting. But if it doesn't match up with the rest of the scriptures, it's a lie. So we just need to look at what the Bible says about this. And the first question we have to understand is, who are the sons of God? Well, if you're in John chapter number 1, look at verse 12. John chapter number 1, and look at verse 12. The Bible says, But as many as received Him, referring to Jesus Christ, in the context, if you want to read the entire chapter, go ahead. But it says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Do you see that? Even to them that believe on His name. So according to John chapter number 1 and verse 12, the sons of God are the people who receive Jesus Christ, and He, became, he makes it more, uh, even, even more clear at the end of the passage, says, even to them that, what's that word? Believe on His name. So who is the Son of God? The person who believes on the name of Jesus Christ. The person who receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible says that person, God gives them the power, says, but as many as receive Him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. You say, well, I thought we were all sons of God. I thought we were all children of God. No, we're not all children of God. We're all created by God, but the people who receive Jesus Christ, according to John chapter number 1 and verse 12, are the sons of God. Now, go with me real quickly to the book of 1 John. It's towards the end of your New Testament. If you got to Revelation, you've gone too far. If you get to that page where it says, the end, you went too far, okay? You want to be in 1 John. It's just a few. If you get to the book of Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible. You have the book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the Bible. And then you'll have the books of 1, 2, and 3 John. So if you go to 1 John... Don't confuse it with John and the Gospel. There's the John and the, and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then towards the end, there's 1 John, uh, chapter number 3, and look at verse 1. 1 John, chapter number 3, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And look what John says. He says that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So according to John, 1 John chapter number 3, and verse 1, John said that we should be called the sons of God, and in verse 2 it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. So according to John chapter number 1, and verse 12, and according to 1 John chapter number 3, verses 1 and 2, who are the sons of God? They're men. They are believers. They are Christians. A Christian is a son or a daughter of God, according to the Bible. Well, I was told, I went to seminary, and I was told that Genesis chapter number 6, when I said the sons of God there, that those are the angels. Well, look, according to other references in the Bible, the sons of God is always referring to a believer in Jesus Christ, a saved person. A person, a human being, who has believed. Well, could it be that maybe, you know, people ask this question, could it be that maybe the term sons of God refers to not only just believers, but also to angels? Because these people just have to believe that the sons of God in, in Genesis chapter number 6 are angels because they were having these giants and they were having these men of renown and, and it just, it makes for a cool story. Well, let me show you a verse. If you're in First John, just start going a little bit towards the left in your Bible, and um, you're going to get to the book of Hebrews. And I'd like you to look at a verse in Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter number 1. 
and look at verse 5. Hebrews chapter number 1, and look at verse 5. You know, could it be that the sons of God refers to not only angels, but also to believers? Because in the New Testament, it's very clear that believers are the sons of God. Could it be that that's also referring to angels? Well, look at Hebrews chapter number 1, and look at verse 5. It's amazing to me how clear the scripture is when it comes to certain subjects. Hebrews chapter number 1, and verse 5. Look what it says. It says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, he's saying, also, because he said this question, which, he, God is saying this question, which one of the angels have I ever said to them, thou art my son? It's a rhetorical question, he's saying, I've never called an angel my son. But then he, he continues on, and he says, not only that, uh, but also, uh, have I ever said to any of the angels this? He says, he says, and again, have I ever said this to them? I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So in Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse 5, God specifically says, He says, look, I've never called an angel a son of God. I've never said that I'm the father to an angel. I've never said that an angel is a son. So according to the Bible, according to an account in John chapter number 1, 1 John chapter number 3, and Hebrews chapter number 1, 5, chapter number 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, the sons of God are always believers. And God says, I will never call an angel. A son of God. Now you ask, why is that so important? Well, there's a few reasons. One of the reasons is this. There's a religion called the Mormons who teach that Jesus Christ and uh, Satan were brothers. And those people, and they don't believe that Jesus Christ was God. They believe that Jesus Christ was a God. They believe that Jesus Christ was a good man. He was a prophet. And He became a God. And they believe that if you live a good, li- uh, good enough life on this earth, that one day, every single person can become a God and have their own world. But they, they believe that there's like one main God and then there's all these little gods. And Jesus Christ became one of these little gods, but He wasn't the main God. Now look, that's, that's Satan uh, doctrine there. If you remember, we pre- remember when we preached a sermon out of... Uh, um, Genesis chapter number 1, and we were, we were preaching there about the, the Bible. And what was the very first thing that Satan said to the man or the woman when he came to the garden? He said, hath God said, and then he lied to them, and he said, you shall, you, you shall be as God, is what he said to them. He told them from the very beginning, he said, hey, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree, because he knows when you eat of it, you're going to become like God. He said, hey, you can be like God. That's what Satan told Eve. And that's what uh, Satan's telling people today. He's telling people, hey, you can be a God. You can become a God. And the reason, and see, Satan... Was an, I don't know if you know, Satan was an angel. Maybe you didn't know that. The Bible refers to him as Lucifer when he was in heaven. He was a Lucifer. And he. Uh, you can read in Isaiah where he became very jealous of God. He became very pride-filled. And, and he decided to wage war against God. And he said that I will be like the Most High. And he said that I will sit. You know, he wanted to be like God. And God cast him out of, out of, uh, out of heaven there. And... But he was an angel that was a fallen angel. And the Bible says he took one-third of the angels with him, and that's, that's what became demons. But see, Satan would love to say that he's the son of God. And that fits perfectly with the, with the doctrine of the Mormons, because the Mormons say that Jesus was the son of God, and that Satan was the son of God, and he had two sons, a good one and a bad one. And that's a lie. Satan was a created being, he was an angel, he's not a son, and whenever the Bible refers to people and he's calls them the sons of God, it's always referring to a believer in Jesus Christ, not an angel. In Hebrews chapter number 1, and verse 5, I just want to read it for you, for you again. It's so clear, it says, he, he just asked, it says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He said, I've never said that. I've never called an angel a son. But go with me to the book of Job, chapter 38. I told you that tonight's sermon is going to be a little different, a little bit more of a Bible study. And I get to break in your Bible a little bit. Job is right before the book of Psalms. Go to Job in the Old Testament, chapter number 38. Because I want to give you the argument of the people who say that the sons of God in the Old Testament were angels. I want to give you their argument and show you why it's not a valid argument. But I want you to understand what they say and why they believe this. Job chapter number 38 and look at verse 6. Job 38 and verse 6. I got a lot, a lot of material, so we're just going to try to go through this quickly. Job 38 and verse 6. The Bible says, uh, Whereupon are the foundations that are fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So it says there that the sons of God shouted for joy. And this is what people will say. They'll say, they'll read these verses. They'll say, look, it says, Whereupon are the foundations that are fastened? Referring to the creation of, of the world. The foundations of the world. And then it asks, us, so that's, that, that's the first question. Whereupon are the foundations there are fastened? Referring to the world and its context. Question number two. Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So people say, look, the sons of God, the Bible says that the sons of God shouted for joy. And here's what they say. When the foundations thereof were fastened, when the foundations of the world were fastened, the sons of God shouted for joy. So therefore, the sons of God must be angels because the angels were there when God created the heavens and the earth, is what people will say. Now that's incorrect. Let me give you a few reasons why. They say that since God, uh, since the sons of God were present for the creation of earth, they must be <coughs> angels. So Job must be, when it says the sons of God there, must be referring to angels. Now look at the verse again. And look at what it says. It says, Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Question mark. New thought. Or, Who laid the cornerstone thereof? Now do you see a semicolon? That semicolon means the sentence isn't over, but what's coming next has to do with the previous statement. Now when you see a question mark, a question mark can always take the place of a period, correct? If you have a sentence, you can end that sentence with a period. Or if you're asking a question, you can put a question mark, and that means that's the end of that sentence. So if you look at the verse part, uh, verse uh, 6, it says, Whereupon are the foundations that are fastened? Question, that thought is over. Or, who laid the cornerstone thereof? Semicolon, that thought is not over. The next phrases have to do with that last statement, uh, or who laid the cornerstone thereof. And it says, When the morning stars sang together, comma, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Question mark, the thought is over. So according to the Bible, the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy when? When the, when the cornerstone was laid. Correct? Do you see that? I'm hoping I'm not boring you with all this English, I, I, but I just want you to see that. They say, they say this, whereupon are the foundations that are fastened, all the sons of God shouted for joy. So they say, see, the sons of God shouted for joy when the foundations were fastened. So therefore, the sons of God must be angels. But that's not what the verse says. It says that the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. When? They shouted for joy when the... It says, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? So the Bible says that when the cornerstone was laid, that's when the sons of God shouted for joy. Do you see that? I want you to understand that. I hope that, that I'm not confusing you. 
They, the, the sons of God shouted for joy when the cornerstone of the earth was laid. So what does that mean, the cornerstone of the earth? You don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read a few verses for you. But the Bible uses the term cornerstone every time the, the term cornerstone is used in the Bible, it's referring to Jesus Christ. Let me read for you a few verses. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 20 says this, And are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. So Ephesians 2.20 says that Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. Let me read for you another verse. verse Acts chapter number 4 and verse 10. It says, Be known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So you see there in the Bible, it says Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone, and then in Acts it says that they crucified Jesus Christ, that God raised Him from the dead, and this person, Jesus Christ, which was the stone which was set at naught, that the builders rejected, is now become the head of the corner. What does that mean? Well, look at what it... Uh, think about the order that it says. First, Jesus Christ was rejected. And it says it was the stone that was set at naught. The stone that was rejected. The picture is that they're building a building and they're bringing stones to build a building and they brought a stone and they said, no, this stone isn't good enough for our building. So they set it at naught. They rejected that stone. But at the end, when they finished the entire building, they're like, man, there's just that one, one stone there in the corner. We need to find something to just complete this building. This one stone would complete the building. And, and you can think of it, I've heard people give it in this, uh, in this, in this fashion. Um, think of like a pyramid. Imagine if they were just bringing all these stones to build the pyramids, right? And then they just need that one last, you know, they had it all built except that one top stone. You know, and maybe they were like, "Well, this stone wouldn't fit down here. This stone wouldn't be a foundation." And maybe they said that not. But at the end, they're like, "Man, look! This one stone that was rejected is the perfect cornerstone." That's the illustration they're giving about the cornerstone, and they're saying that stone was Jesus Christ. Because remember, the Bible says He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Do you remember that? He came to the Jews, and they rejected Him, and they crucified Him. But at the end of the whole thing, they said, "Hey, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, they said, hey, that was the stone that was set at not." rejected, but now he's become the head of the corner. He's the most important stone in the whole building. So, with that in mind, the cornerstone represents who? Jesus Christ, always in the Bible. Job, chapter 38 and verse 6, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Referring to Jesus Christ. When the cornerstone was laid, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So according to the Bible, when did the sons of God shout for joy? When the cornerstone was set. When was the cornerstone set? See, when they crucified Jesus Christ, that's when they rejected the stone. But according to Acts, when He rose from the grave, that's when He became the cornerstone. So when did the sons of God shout for joy? Was it at the beginning of creation? No. It was when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. So who are the sons of God? They're not angels. They're Christians. And in heaven, when, when I can just imagine as all the people in heaven, all the Old Testament saints that died and they were in heaven and they were watching Jesus Christ being crucified and they were watching that stone be rejected. Hey, I bet you three days later when He rose from the grave, 
that they shouted for joy. And they, and they shouted, the sons of God there, shouted for joy when, not when the foundations thereof were fastened, but when the cornerstone was laid, according to Job 38. So they say, that's their verse to why the sons of God refers to angels and not sons of God, like the Bible says. But if you, if you study it out, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the sons of God shouted for joy when Jesus Christ was made the head of the corner. First, Jesus Christ was rejected, he was crucified, then he became the head of the corner when he resurrected from the grave. It's extremely clear from the scriptures that the sons of God are not angels. They are always believers. They are always human beings who believed in Jesus Christ and God adopted them into his family. They got born again into the family of God and they became the sons of God. And you may ask, well, why do people choose to believe that the sons of God are angels and not, in the case of uh, Genesis 6 and Job 38, why do, they, why do people not believe that these are Old Testament saints? Why don't they believe that they're uh, people in the Old Testament that believed in Jesus Christ, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob? Why do they believe that they're angels? Well, here's why. Because they cannot believe that Old Testament saints went to heaven when they died, physically. I'll explain, to you, I'll explain to you that. Let me show you a few verses to prove to you that the sons of God went to heaven. If you were an Old Testament believer in Jesus Christ, if you were Abraham and you were looking to Jesus Christ, you know, they were waiting for the Messiah and they had faith. Because see, salvation is all about what you believe. Today we look back at the Messiah, you know, we look back at Jesus Christ and we say we believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth died, was buried, and rose from the grave to pay for our sins. And we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they were saved by faith also. But the difference was they were just looking to Christ. They were looking to the Messiah. They were looking to Jesus coming and they were saying, we believe by faith that one day the Messiah is going to come, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to pay for our sins. You know, maybe they didn't necessarily know he's going to die on the cross, but they knew that one day the Messiah would come to redeem them. They knew that. And they were saved by faith. So when Abraham believed that, when Isaac believed that, when Jacob believed that, when they died, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So they went up to heaven. And that's why the, very, the first text to prove to you that the sons of God go to heaven that was the one we just read. They were in heaven when Jesus Christ died. And they were in heaven when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And when He rose from the grave, they shouted for joy because they were in heaven. But let me give you a few other verses. Um... Where am I in my notes here? Oh, yeah, let me show you, let me show you this. Job, uh, are, you, are you in Job 38? Go to Job chapter number 1. Job chapter number 1, and look at verse 6. We've got to do it quickly, because I've got a lot, a, lot, a lot to show you. Job chapter number 1, and look at verse 6. Job chapter number 1, and look at verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, is that what it says? Came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So according to Job 1, 6, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Why? Because they were in heaven. Why? Because they had died physically. And when they were on earth, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They got saved. They went to heaven. And now they're in heaven in the book of Job, the Old Testament. And the sons of God came to present themselves before God. Look at Job chapter number 2 and verse 1. Job chapter number 2 and verse 1. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came, came also among them. To present themselves before the Lord. So another example. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Let me read for you another verse. This is the verse we preached on last week. Genesis chapter number 5 and verse 24. It says, And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. 
If you remember, we looked at Hebrews 11.5 last week, also referring to Enoch. It says, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So according to Genesis, according to Hebrew, uh, Enoch didn't die physically. He was translated. According to Genesis, he was not because God took him. So yet another example of an Old Testament say who went to heaven when he died. Uh, actually, and Enoch didn't even die. God just took him up to heaven. Let me read for you another verse. 2 Kings chapter number 2 and verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. The Bible says that Elijah the prophet, God sent down a chariot of fire, and he said, Hey, Elijah, just get on the chariot, and a whirlwind took him up to heaven. An Old Testament saint who went to heaven. Let me read for you this verse. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3 and verse 20 says, All go unto one place. All are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward? It says, The spirit of man goeth upward. And the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth. So according to the Bible, look, it's, very, it's a very biblical doctrine that in the Old Testament, when people died and they believed in the Messiah, they had faith in that the Messiah was going to come, that they went to heaven when they died, according to the Bible. But people do not want to believe that Old Testament saints went to heaven. So then, when Job says that the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord, then they have to say, those weren't the sons of God. Those were angels. But then, they have to change every other time that the Old Testament says sons of God, because they can't, they can't say Genesis 6, oh, those were the sons of God, but Job, those weren't the sons of God. Does that make sense? So people don't want to believe that Old Testament saints went to heaven, so when the Bible says that the sons of God were before God, they present themselves before the Lord, then they say, well, those weren't the sons of God. You say, well, why, can't, why do people choose not to believe that the sons of God um, went to heaven when they died? That human, believing humans went to heaven when they died. Well, here's why. Because they believe in a false teaching called the doctrine of paradise. The false teaching of paradise. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably not. Um, but it, there's a false teaching called the doctrine of paradise. So let me show you a few things about this. Go with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12. And I'll talk to you while you turn there. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12. Let me explain to you what this doctrine of paradise is. The people who believe in the doctrine of paradise believe this. They believe that in the Old Testament, those people who believed in the Messiah, when they died, they did not go to heaven. But they went to this place called paradise. And they believe paradise was located in the center of hell. So they believe that there's hell, right, in the center of the earth. And in the center of hell, there's this place called paradise. And this place, paradise, is like the nice part of hell. It's the part of hell where there's no fire. It's the part of hell where there's no torment. It's like a country club in hell. And Old Testament saints, here's what they believe. They went to paradise when they died. And they were just kind of waiting there for Jesus Christ to die on the cross and raise from the grave so that they could go to heaven. Uh, has anybody ever heard that before? Probably not. If you haven't, praise the Lord. But there's this doctrine out there that, that's, that says that. It's the doctrine of paradise. They believe that there's a place in hell that's a nice place and the Old Testament saints went there and they waited there for Jesus Christ. Now that goes against the Bible because according to Job, the sons of God were in heaven and they shouted for joy when 
the rock that was the stone that was set at not became the head of the corner. But that's what they believe. This doctrine of paradise. Now you say, well, what is that? What does that bother? Well, I'll, I'll, we'll get to that in a second. But are you in Second Corinthians chapter number twelve? Look at verse two. I want to show you this. Now, just to give you some context in 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 Second Corinthians twelve, it is generally believed that Paul in this passage was speaking about himself and an experience that he had, and we'll we'll look at it. Look at verse two. It says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Now he says, whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Do you notice how it says he was caught up to the third heaven? Now the third heaven is referring to heaven like where God lives. You know, there's, there's heaven like, like the sky. And then the Bible refers to like heaven like the sky. There's heaven like outer space, but then that third heaven, he's not talking about like outer space, he's not talking about the sky, he's not talking about where the birds fly, he's talking about God's kingdom, heaven, you know. So he says, this man who Paul knew was caught up to the third heaven. Do you see that? Verse, let me read for you again. It says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, look at verse 3, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. But look at verse 4. How that he was caught up into... You see how that word says? Paradise. Now according to verse 2, he said that he was caught up to what? The third heaven. According to verse 4, he says that he was caught up into what? Paradise. And heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for me to utter. Now it is generally believed that Paul was speaking about an experience that he himself had when he was actually himself went to heaven, that, that Paul went to heaven, because there's a story where Paul was, uh, was stoned, they took him out of the city, they were like, we're tired of you preaching the gospel, we're tired of you being a missionary, and they picked up stones, and they threw stones at him until he died, and the Bible says that they, they supposed that he was dead, they dragged him out of the city, and they threw him out, and they thought he was dead, but he rose from, the, he rose from, from that, and he kept on preaching. Well, it is believed by some, and I, I would agree with it, that Paul actually died when he got stoned there. And this is the reference he was talking about. He said, hey, look, I went to heaven. I saw heaven. I saw, he said, it's not lawful for me to speak about these things. It, it's unspeakable words, which is not lawful for me to utter. He says, like, I can't even tell you of the things that I saw in heaven. But, but what I want you to catch from that is that he said that he was caught up to the third heaven in verse 2, and in verse 4 he says he was caught up into paradise. So he uses those words interchangeably, paradise and heaven. You see that? Go with me please to the book of Revelation chapter number 2, look at verse 7. Revelation chapter number 2 and look at verse 7. Look at Revelation 2, 7 says. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter number 2 and verse 7. I'm trying to hurry because there's just so much material, I want you to learn this. If you think the sermon's going nowhere, just stay with me. We're going to bring it all to an end here pretty soon. And you're going to understand why it's so important. Revelation chapter number 2, and look at verse 7. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, look what it says, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So according to Revelation chapter number 2, and verse 7, the tree of life is where? In the midst of the paradise of God. Do you see that? Now look at, go to Revelation chapter number 22 and verse 1. Revelation chapter number 22 and look at verse 1. So, Paul, when, he, when Paul spoke of paradise, he said heaven, he said paradise, he used those words interchangeably. According to Revelation 2.7, 
Paradise is where the tree of, of life is. Revelation 22.1, look what it says. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. I want you to make note of that. The, the pure river that was clear as crystal was proceeding out of the throne of God of the Lamb. Look at verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner fruit, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves and the trees were for the healing of the nation. So, according to Revelation chapter number 2 and verse 7, where is the tree of life? In, pa- in paradise, in the midst of paradise. According to Revelation 22.1, where is the tree of life? Beside the river that comes from the throne of God. So according to the Bible, the tree of life is where the throne of God is. Where's the throne of God? Heaven. Where's the throne of God? The kingdom of God. Heaven. So according to the Bible, the tree of life is where the throne of God is, which is heaven. And according to the Bible, the tree of life is in paradise. Are you, You're in Revelation 22. Look at verse 14. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into that city. So where is the tree of life according to Revelation 22.14? It's in that city. What city is it referring to? Well, go back to Revelation 21 and verse 1, and it'll tell you what, what he's referring to. Revelation 21.1. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So God, you know, at the end of every all the things that happen in the book of Revelation, God destroys the old heaven, God destroys the, new, the, the, the old earth, and He creates a new heaven and a new earth for, for the first heaven, and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And look at verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So according to Revelation, chapter number 22, I hope I'm not confusing you, but according to the Word of God, The tree of life is where the throne of God is. The tree of life is in that city. What city? The new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. The kingdom of God. Heaven. In heaven is where the tree of life is. And according to Revelation 2.7, in paradise is where the tree of life is. According to Paul, he said, I went to heaven. He said, I went to paradise. So according to the Bible, what is paradise? Heaven. I mean, did I, I hope I didn't confuse you with all those verses, but it's very clear from the scriptures. What is paradise? Is paradise some, you know, country club in the middle of hell? No. Paradise is heaven, is what the Bible says. I mean, is that pretty clear? Did, did, you, did you see that? It's important. I want you to learn this, because we're, we're getting to, to somewhere. Now, before I move on, though, I want to give you the argument of those who believe in paradise. Those who believe this doctrine of paradise, I want you to give you their argument and see and, and, and show you again why they're misinterpreting the scriptures. Now go with me to the book of Luke. I told you tonight's sermon is going to be just a little different. I know on Sunday nights I'm usually just like screaming and yelling about sin and we'll get back to that soon I'm sure. But look at Luke chapter number 16 and uh, I want you to see a story. A very famous story, Luke chapter number 16, and look at verse 19. Luke chapter number 16, and look at verse 19. Now this is a story that those who believe in paradise, they they use this story as an argument. Look what it says. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of swords, 
and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the, his sores. And it came to pass that the beggars died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So this is what they say. They say that Abraham and Lazarus, because remember it says Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom? They're saying that this, this rich man, he lifted up his eyes, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And they say, see, Abraham and Lazarus were in paradise. They were in this nice hotel in the middle of hell, just enjoying themselves, just waiting for Jesus Christ to die on the cross and, raise, and be risen from the grave. And this rich man was in hell in torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham, and, uh, and he saw Lazarus, and he was in paradise, and, or the rich man was in hell, and they were in paradise. Look at verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou that thou in thy life received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So they say, they, they, they consider this gulf uh, separating the good side of hell from the bad side of hell. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, and that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come in to this place to be tormented. So, do you see what he's saying? The, the rich man saw Lazarus. He said, Abraham, can you send Lazarus to just dip his finger uh, in water and then just put it on my thigh? I'm in so much torment in this fire. I'm just being tormented. And he said, hey, look, we can't go over there. There's a gulf fix. Those of us that would go over there, or you who would come to us, we can't do it. He said, well, can you at least send Lazarus to go preach to my five brethren so they don't come to this place of torment? And Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, referring to the Bible. So they have the Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So that's the argument that the paradise crowd says, see, look there, that's the doctrine of paradise. Uh, the rich man was talking to Lazarus and Abraham. Lazarus and Abraham were in paradise in hell. Let me explain to you why that's not correct. Look at the verses again. Just look at verse 23. Luke 16, 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And look what it says, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his, in his bosom. Now let me read for you a verse. Jude chapter number 1 and verse 13 says this. Referring to hell. It says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The Bible says, this is just one example, but many times in the Bible, the Bible refers to hell as being a place of blackness and darkness, and it says forever. Hell is a place where you, you will not, it is just pitch, Dark. Hell is a place of dismal darkness. People think they're going to get to hell and they're, they're like, you know, I ask people all the time, do you know for sure if that day you go to heaven? They're like, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell because that's where all my buddies are going to be and we're going to party. They're a bunch of idiots. The Bible says that hell, you won't even be able to look at somebody. You'll just be in total darkness. Have you ever been in such darkness that you can almost feel it? Like, have you ever been out, out, out in, the, uh, in the military 
Sometimes we do exercises and we'll go out, you know, like we went to Michigan and we're just out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and there is, um, you know, just complete darkness. Like, like it'll be like a night like tonight where the, the fog will come in and the clouds, or it'll be overcast. And I mean, there's no light and it is just dark. Like literally, like if someone just, you know, had like a cell phone and just like did that, like you'd be able to see it from like a mile away because it's just so dark. But when it gets that dark, you almost can feel it. Like you, you, you put your own hand in front of your own eyes and you just like can't even see your own hand because it's so dark. And it's kind of a scary thing. But God, the Bible says that that's how hell is going to be. It's going to be a place of just utter blackness of darkness forever. So now if the Bible says that hell is a place of darkness, under normal circumstances, would it be possible to see someone else in total darkness? I mean, could, could the rich man see Abraham and Lazarus in hell under normal circumstances? He wouldn't be able to. Does that make sense? Look at verse 24, Luke 16, 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. I want you to see this. In verse 24, the Bible says, He cried and said, in verse 25 it says, Abraham said, now let me read another verse for you, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Matthew twenty-two thirteen says this, referring to hell. It says, Then said the king to the servants, bind him, bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. You see again, how like, referring to hell, the Bible says, cast him into outer darkness. And it says this, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, according to the Bible, and that's just one example of many times in the Bible, where it says that hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of screaming and wailing, where people are being burned alive, but they never get consumed. Hell is a place of utter torment. Hell is a place, the Bible says, where the worm dieth not. The Bible says that these worms will be eating you. They don't die. You're constantly in flames. You're in total darkness. And here's what people are doing. They're screaming and they're wailing and they're gnashing their teeth. Now, now think about this. There's billions of people in hell. Under normal circumstances, would it be possible to hear somebody speaking to you from a great way off over the sounds of billions of people screaming and wailing and gnashing their teeth? It wouldn't, right? I mean, good night. When these kids start running around and they're just having fun, sometimes it's hard to have a conversation, right, with somebody when the kids are like playing, you know, because they're being loud. And in hell, people are going to be just screaming and wailing. So under normal circumstances, would it be able, would, would this rich man be able to look at Abraham and begin to speak to him and, and have this conversation over the voices of billions of people Screaming and weeping and gnashing their teeth? It wouldn't, right? Under normal circumstances, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. Look at verse 26, Luke 16, 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Now, this is true. There is a great gulf fixed between hell and heaven. And here's what it's called, earth. You're sitting in it. The, the gulf between hell, because hell, the Bible says, is in the center of the earth. And heaven is planet earth. So that's true. There is a great gulf fixed. It's called the earth. Now, the reason I showed you these verses, the reason I read for you these things is, is because this. It would, under normal circumstances, it would be impossible for someone to, to see. Look, when, when, if, you, if somebody dies and goes to hell, they're not going to see anything. They're just going to be in torments. They're not going to know what's going on. They're just going to be screaming and wailing and crying. And under normal circumstances, the rich man and Abraham and Lazarus would not be able to have the conversation they had. But obviously, hell is a supernatural place. 
And God miraculously, supernatural, supernaturally allowed, what I believe, Luke 16, is that God miraculously allowed the rich man to talk to Abraham and Lazarus in order to give us a picture of what hell is like. Because when I read Luke 16, you know what I want to do? Is go soul winning. Is go preach the gospel to somebody. You know why? Because I'm just looking at this man saying, I'm in flames, I'm in torment. I mean, do you understand? Lazarus, um, I think we read there, it said that Lazarus... Uh, was sick. I mean, he was just this feeble, old, sick beggar. I mean, when they were alive, the rich man probably didn't want to look at Lazarus, but when he's tormented in hell, he says, if you would just send Lazarus to dip his nasty old finger in water and touch my tongue, because I'm in such torment. God was just giving us a picture of hell. Probably one of the best. I mean, he just, and then, and then what does he say? He says, can you, can you send somebody to go preach? I've got five brothers and I don't want them to go to hell. Hey, you want to know, you want to know what people in hell are saying right now? You know what, what people in hell are wishing right now? They're wishing that there'd be a pastor. They're wishing that there'd be a church. They're wishing that there'd be Christians who would say, hey, would somebody go preach to my family so they don't come here? That's what people in hell are preaching. People in hell are wishing that somebody would take an hour or two hours or three hours out of their day and go knock on somebody's door and say, Hey, you don't want to go to hell. That's what the Bible says. And I believe that God supernaturally allowed us to get this picture of hell. Even though in the normal circumstances, somebody won't be able to see hell, somebody won't be able to have a conversation in hell, somebody would be in too much pain and agony to even speak in hell. God allowed us in Luke 16... To see this miracle, I don't know, how do you do it? I don't know, maybe God has Skype in heaven, I, I don't know. <laughs> but He allowed us to, to get a picture of hell. But it doesn't, but you, if you take one passage and make an entire doctrine out of it, you've got to take a passage and compare it with the rest of the Bible, and it's got to make sense, all together. Alright? Let me give you another argument for the people who believe paradise. We'll do it quickly. We're almost done, I promise. Luke chapter number 23 and verse 42. Turn there quickly if you can. Luke 23, 42 says this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This is the story of Jesus Christ. He's hanging on the cross. The two thieves are on either side of him. One of the thieves is mocking him. At first they were both mocking him. Then one of the thieves is mocking him. The other thief says, hey, you know, this man hasn't done anything wrong. And, um... And this is what the thief on the cross said to Jesus. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now here's what the paradise crowd says. They say, see, Jesus later on that day was going to be in hell, in paradise. So he said, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, according to the Bible, what is paradise? I mean, consistently in the Bible, paradise always equals heaven. So, now, let me read for you this verse. We, we touched on this when we were in John chapter number 3. But John 3.13 says this. Remember when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus? And he said, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Remember that Jesus Christ was talking to Nicodemus, looking in his eye, and he said, Hey, Nicodemus, by the way, I'm in heaven right now. Why could Jesus say that? Because he's God. God is omnipresent. Jesus Christ is God. And he said, hey Nicodemus, I'm talking to you right now, but I'm also in heaven right now. And when Jesus Christ looked at that thief and he said, hey, what did he ask? He said, remember me when thou comest into thy, what did he say? Kingdom. What's the kingdom of God? Heaven. And Jesus Christ didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, well actually, let me get your theology straight. We're going to go to paradise first, duh. You know, to the, to the little 
hotel we've got there in, heaven, in hell that has no flames. And then we'll be in Jesus Christ didn't... What did he do? He just affirmed the statement. He said, hey, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why could Jesus Christ do that? Because he's, he's, he's God. So he was in... You know what? And when, that, when the thief died on the cross, Jesus Christ was there to welcome him to heaven because Jesus Christ is God. But, but he asked, when you enter into thy kingdom, and he said, hey, I'll see you in paradise. What's paradise? Heaven. So there's no, there is no such thing as some sort of country club in the middle of hell called paradise that is, there's no flame or torment. It's just where everybody went to hang out till Jesus Christ died. There, there's no such thing as that. And I think that's very clear from the scriptures. And I, I want to be fair to these people and show you the passages that they, that they use to prove their doctrine and then show you why they're not... They just don't hold any water. Now, you're probably extremely confused, and you're like, okay, Pastor Jimenez, I understand everything you're saying, but I still don't understand the point. What is the point? Why do people choose to believe that Jesus, that, that, that there is a such thing as paradise? Well, here's why. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He was buried, and He rose from the grave. The Bible says He was buried in hell. He was buried for three days and three nights. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ went to hell. And people do not want to believe that Jesus went to hell when He died. So, but here's the thing, is they got a problem, because the Bible says many times that Jesus went to hell. So they, so they made up this make-believe place, and they said, okay, well how about this, Jesus went, yeah, sure, he went to hell, but he didn't go to hell to suffer, he went to hell to the country club to get those people out. And they came up with this, uh, with this doctrine. Now let me show you why that, that cannot work. And I, I'll just go through this uh, quickly. Did Jesus go to hell when he died? What does the Bible say about Jesus going to hell? Well, let me read for you Psalm 16, 19, and 10. It's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. It says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Acts 2, 27 is referring back to the psalm that I just read to you. And it lets us know that it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Because Acts 2, 27 says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Acts 2.31 makes it even clearer. I'm going through this quickly because we're running out of time, but I just want you to see it. Acts 2.31 makes it even clearer. He says, He seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Is that clear enough? He said, He spake of the resurrection of Christ, that His soul was not left in hell, neither His flesh did see corruption. The Bible says that, speaking about the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ was resurrected because His soul was not left in hell. Now let me, and I got so much stuff, so much to go through. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus Christ is speaking, and here's what He says. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ said, hey, in the same way that Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. What's at the heart of the earth? Hell. Even science tells us that. What's at the core of the earth? Just this ball of fire lava. That's what, it, that's what even science will tell you that. What is that? It's hell. In the, in the heart of the earth. Now let me read for you Jonah to, the book, the, out of the book of Jonah what Jonah said. Because it's very interesting. Because Jesus Christ said, Hey, in the same way that Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. Let me read for you Jonah chapter number 2 and verse 6. It says this. Jonah is saying this. He's referring to when he was in the whale's belly. He says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought me up my life from corruption, O Lord. 
my God. So Jonah said this, that he went down to the bottoms of the mountains, that the earth with her bars was about me, and he says, forever. Now, was Jonah in the center of the earth? No. What did Jesus say, say that Jonah's was? In the whale's belly. Jonah chapter number 2 and verse 6 is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Jonah's saying, hey, when he's saying that, he's, saying, he, he's prophesying about Jesus Christ, and many times if you study prophecy, they will, uh, they, they will prophesy like it's happening to them, but they're referring to Jesus Christ. And, and, and he says, hey, I went down to the bars of the earth, I, they were, the bars of the earth were uh, about me forever. And then Jesus Christ says about Jonah, who prophesied about him being in the earth, he said, hey, like Jonah was in the world by like three days in the earth, even in the same way, I'm going to be in the center and the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ went to hell for three days and three nights when He died. Why do people choose not to believe that? Here's why. Because if you don't believe that Jesus went to hell, then the gospel is null and void. Let me explain it to you. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. According to the Bible, the wages, that word wages means payment. Like if you've heard the term minimum wage, that's your payment when you go to work. According to the Bible, the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. But when God talks about death, He's not just talking about a physical death. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Being cast into the lake of fire is the second death. And whosoever is not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So when God says the wages of sin is death, He said, I'm not just talking about a physical death. I'm talking about the second death, which is being cast into the lake of fire. Now here's the thing. 1 John 2, 2 says this, And He, referring to Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. What does that word mean? It means the appeasement, the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. Now here's the thing. If Jesus Christ died on the cross physically, but didn't go to hell, did He pay for my sins? No. Because no? what is the payment for my sin? Physical death? Yes. But also the second spiritual death, the lake of fire. In order for Jesus Christ to pay for my sin, He had to go to hell and suffer. For three days and three nights, but the Bible says it was an eternity. Jonah said, I was there forever. And people want to mess with the gospel. Because they don't want you to get saved. Because if Jesus died physically, that doesn't pay for my sin. I'm not afraid. Look, I might die physically. What I'm trying to get out of is going to hell. And Jesus Christ had to die and go to hell in order to pay for my sin. But people say, we want, the, Satan says, I want to attack the gospel. Now, here's the whole, I'm going to wrap it all right here and, and give you a thought and we'll be done. Satan comes along and uses evil men and he says, I want to attack the gospel. So here's how I'm going to attack the gospel. I'm going to let people think that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose from the grave, but I'm, not, I'm going to have them not believe that he went to hell. Because if he didn't pay for their sin in hell, then he didn't pay for their sin. If you study in, in, in Leviticus, do you, you find this. Every time they bring a sacrifice, every time they bring the Passover, what does God always have them do? Burn it. Have a burned sacrifice. What does that mean? Hell. What does that represent? Hell. Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Yes. Physically, yes. But also had to go to hell. To pay for my sin. And if you don't believe that Jesus went to hell, then you're not saved. Because then He didn't pay for your sin. If Jesus, did, if Jesus only died physically, then, then we've got it backwards. Because I'm going to die physically. 
So then he didn't make a payment. What was a payment? That I don't have to go to hell. Because he went in my place. He satisfied my judgment. He appeased my judgment. He was taken... You've heard the term scapegoat, which comes from Leviticus also? He became my scapegoat. He took my punishment. What was my punishment? Hell. But Satan attacks that. He says, let's have people believe that Jesus didn't go to hell. And then they say, well, that's kind of hard because the Bible says he went to hell. So how do we get people to think, you know, even though the Bible says he went to hell, how do we get them to believe that he didn't go to hell? And they say, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll tell them he went to hell, but he didn't go to hell to suffer for their sins. He went to paradise, the country club of hell. And he was just hanging out for three days and three nights, and then he rose from the grave. And they're like, well, then we got to explain what's the point of paradise. And they're like, okay, well, how about we say this? We'll tell people that in the Old Testament... When people died, they didn't go to heaven, they went to paradise. You know, and then that's why Jesus went there when he died, to, to hang out with them, and to bring them back up um, when, they, when, when he was done. And then, and then they say, well, there's a problem with that. The Bible says that the sons of God were in heaven, in the Old Testament. So how can we tell people that the sons of God in the Old Testament were in paradise if the Bible makes it clear that they were in heaven? And they say, well, how about this? Let's just tell people that the sons of God in the Old Testament weren't the sons of God. They were angels. And here's the thing. Oh, what a web of lies we weave, right? They mess with one doctrine and they got to mess with another doctrine. And they mess with that doctrine and they got to mess with another doctrine. And they mess with that doctrine. And before you know it, I preach a 56-minute sermon on one doctrine, but I got to go through five other doctrines and prove to you from the Bible why those things are not so to get to that one thing. Now, here's the thing. Every time you approach the Bible with a preconceived idea, you're going to make a mess of doctrine. I, people tell me this all the time. If I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody say this, I'd be a millionaire. Because, you know, I've only been a pastor here for eight weeks, but I've been preaching for a long time, obviously. Uh, I mean, not a long time, but, you know, I'm a young man. But I've, I've been given the opportunity to preach and to, uh, you know, lead ministries and stuff like that. And, and here's what I'll do. I'll preach an entire sermon on a, certain doc, on a certain thing. Like this morning, we preached on why Christians shouldn't celebrate Halloween. And inevitably, someone will come up to me and they'll say this. Well, I see what you mean. I mean, it's pretty clear from the Bible that we shouldn't celebrate that. And here's what they'll say. I'm going to think about it. Then. I'm going to pray about it. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, do you think God in heaven, when you're, if God says, hey, thou shalt not kill, and then you go to God and you're just like, God, I, I know you said I shouldn't kill, but man, if you just knew how bad my kids were, I really want to kill them. And I'm just going to pray about this. You think God's in heaven like, no, eh, you're kind of persuading me. You think that's what God's doing? God's like, look, I've already spoken. You're not persuading me. And, but here's the problem. We come to the Bible with a preconceived idea. We say, I want the Bible to teach me this. And, and a preacher like me, who isn't going to lie to you, is going to say, well, the problem with that is that the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches this. And then you say, well, no, 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 I, I believe this verse says this. And then I'll be like, well, that contradicts this verse. And you're like, well, well, well see, the thing is, I believe that verse means this. Well, the, thing, the problem with that is that that contradicts this verse over here. And before you know it, You've got over a thousand religions that believe crazy things like Jesus and Satan were brothers. That believe crazy things like one day I can be a god. That believe crazy things like we're not going to go to heaven. That believe crazy things like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that there is no such thing as heaven. That there is no such thing as hell. I mean, have you ever thought to you thought to yourself, why is it that all these weird religions believe all sorts of crazy nonsense? Here's why. They come to the Bible with a preconceived idea. And instead of being humble... And saying, hey, you know, that's what the Bible says, I'm just going to do it. They say, no, that can't mean that. So then someone will say, well, what about this verse? 
Well, that's got to mean something else. And look, I mean, do you see the whole... I mean, we started, we're talking about who the sons of God were. We have to prove who the sons of God were, so that then we could prove to you that the Old Testament saints went to heaven. And we have to prove that to you, so that then we could just prove that paradise is a place where the Old Testament saints. And we have to teach you what paradise was, to be able to teach you that Jesus Christ didn't go to paradise, He went to hell. And when it gets down to it, what are they attacking? The gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order to attack the gospel, they got to attack this doctrine, they got to attack this doctrine. I'm trying, to show, I'm trying to get you to understand this. Why was a study to show thyself approved unto God? God wants you to study the Bible and know... Uh, I was having a conversation with Carol on the way to church, and I was saying, look, I'd rather preach to ten people who love and study the Bible than a thousand people who just come here for social reasons. And the Bible says you should study to show yourself approved unto God. And you need to just not come to the Bible with a preconceived idea, not come to the Bible uh, saying, I, I want to believe this, what verse can I get to fit, to fit that? You should just come to the Bible with the idea that God is always right, I'm always wrong, Whatever the Bible says, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to debate with God about it. I'm not going to try to make a certain verse fit a certain thing. I'm just going to let the Bible be the boss. I heard somebody say this before, and I thought it was a great statement. You are a Baptist when the Bible is your boss. And look, that's what I want. And, and look, today, tonight was just a perfect example of how you mess with one doctrine, and then you got to go mess with another one, and then you got to go mess with another one, and then you got to go mess with another one. And before you know it, you got a whole religion of people who think that there's some hotel in hell, that there's no flame, and there's no fire, and it's just a hangout spot. And it's just not true. Now, I don't know if you learned a few things tonight. I hope you did. I hope you learned that Jesus did go to hell to pay for my sins. I hope you learned that the sons of God always refers to believers. I hope, I hope you learn that there's no such thing as paradise or that paradise in the Bible is always referring to heaven. You know, I understand that tonight's sermon wasn't as dynamic of a sermon, but, but I, I want you to know, know and learn the Bible. But the most important thing is this. You need to come to the Bible with no preconceived ideas, no preconceived beliefs. You know, what did we say this morning? Question everything. And just let the Bible be the boss. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. And thank you, Lord, for the...